0: I'm taking a class on the Hebrew Scriptures right now at church. It's been interesting. I'm loving the textbooks and the solid historical background they give for the books we Christians call the Old Testament. I'm really enjoying reading about how the Bible came to be. In my birth church, the Bible was seen as the inerrant word of God, to be taken literally. Except when that approach didn't make sense, like all the places where we're told to kill folks then it's just figurative, or else negated by Jesus being born and fulfilling the law. I once described this class to a date, herself a former pastor's wife, as my last-ditch effort to understand an intensely problematic book that guides so many people's lives and decisions. Truth be told, I find it delicious when my textbook says, there's no historical record for biblical event A, or... The Bible places Abraham around year X, but history, perhaps more accurately, places him around year Y. I delight in those gotcha moments. Sometimes I feel like I'm beating the Bible at its own game, the game of ruling my life as the supposedly inerrant word of God. But then I have to stop and think. Was the Bible ever meant to be idolized, like it so often is? When Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 3:16 through 17 All scripture is inspired by God, and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. When he said this, was he expressing a common opinion of the day, or something new and radical? I ask this because it matters. I ask this because people use the Bible to condemn my gay brothers and my lesbian sisters. And willfully overlook my trans and gender nonconforming neighbors. They use the Bible to oppose interracial marriage, support despots, hoard wealth, and bar women from leadership. In her book, The Year of Biblical Womanhood, Rachel Held Evans puts it this way If you are looking for verses with which to support slavery, you will find them. If you are looking for verses with which to abolish slavery, you will find them. If you are looking for verses with which to oppress women, you will find them. If you are looking for verses with which to liberate or honor women, you will find them. If you are looking for reasons to wage war, you will find them. If you are looking for reasons to promote peace, you will find them. If you are looking for an outdated, irrelevant, ancient text, you will find it. If you are looking for the truth, believe me, you will find it. This is why there are times when the most instructive question to bring to the text is not, what does it say, but what am I looking for? I suspect Jesus knew this when he said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. If you want to do violence in this world, you will always find the weapons. If you want to heal, you will always find the balm. Through my class at church, I'm slowly starting to see that I don't have to take the Bible 100% literally, that I can, as the bumper sticker says, take it too seriously to take it literally. Some days, though, I'm not even sure I want to take it seriously. It's caused so much harm in my life and the lives of others. Some days I just want to pitch the whole kit and caboodle into the ocean. On those days, I keep going back to class because I tell myself that it'll be anthropologically interesting. If I want to know what makes my conservative neighbors tick, if I want to be able to discuss things in a language they know with sources they trust, then I need to know the Bible. I wish I didn't have to do that. I wish I didn't have to turn the Bible into a weapon for any cause. I wish we could just let it be a collection of historical documents that show us important things about the culture and beliefs of the times they were written in. But then I run up against the Gospels in this man named Jesus. C.S. Lewis sums up my thoughts about Jesus best when he writes, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God." or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he was killed on a cross and rose again from the dead on the third day. I believe he ascended into heaven and will come again someday. I believe all of this partly because of that collection of historical documents I periodically want to throw into the ocean. So when the going gets tough, I retreat to the Gospels. I retreat to the foot of the cross. I retreat to Jesus and start there and see where I can go from there. Where I usually go from there is the prophets. I like the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and all the rest. I like it when Micah says, He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? I like it when Isaiah writes, What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls, or of lambs, or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who asked this from your hand? Trample my courts no more. Bringing offerings is futile. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and calling of convocation, I cannot endure solemn assemblies with iniquity. Your new moons and your appointed festivals my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you stretch out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rescue the oppressed. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. So I've got Jesus and I've got the prophets. I like Ruth and Naomi, too, and the daughters of Zelophehad, and Deborah and Jael, and Abraham bartering with God. I like the Magnificat and the baptism of the Ethiopian eunuch. That's a pretty good start right there. But if I pick and choose only the bits of the Bible I like, how am I any different from my uber-conservative birth church? Well, for starters, I think that using the Bible to liberate, not oppress, is the moral high ground. I think we can establish this moral high ground when we say, hey, we've got some widows and orphans and foreigners over here who need some help, and we're mandated like a zillion times throughout the Bible to help them. And as a former pastor of mine preached once, if a literal reading of a Bible verse ever gets in the way of us affirming someone's humanity and rights, the Bible needs to step aside. Cynthia Borgial puts it this way, As a Christian, when confronted by a tension between a religious certainty which leads me to violate the law of love and a deep unknowing that still moves in the direction of loving my neighbor as myself, I am bound to choose the latter course. My beloved Episcopal Church makes this possible by utilizing a three-legged stool of theological authority, scripture, reason, and tradition. If you're a Methodist, you'll throw in another leg, Christian experience, and call the whole shebang the Wesleyan quadrilateral. In either case, we acknowledge that we're viewing Scripture through multiple lenses, and we make decisions with those lenses in mind. This approach has two benefits. It's more honest, as it acknowledges the biases, needs, and desires we bring to our readings of Scripture, and I dare say it leads to more compassionate, better informed decisions. I would so much rather be a part of a liberation movement, a movement to lift people up and empower them and assure them of the rights they've always innately had. I would so much rather love on people than oppress them. Wouldn't you? Today's blessing comes from the Book of Common Prayer. It's prayer number seven for the church. It reads, Gracious Father, we pray for thy holy Catholic Church. Fill it with all truth, in all truth, with all peace. Where it is corrupt, purify it. Where it is in error, direct it. Where in anything it is amiss, reform it. Where it is right, strengthen it. Where it is in wants, provide for it. Where it is divided, Reunite it for the sake of Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Savior. Amen.